Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Cloudcast. It's just me tonight. Aaron is uh, off traveling and doing work stuff. Uh, tonight's show is being sponsored by two outstanding friends of the show, SolidFire and Thousand Eyes. SolidFire provides industry-leading flash storage, scalability, and quality of service for cloud service providers. And Thousand Eyes delivers end-to-end visibility of your network performance, which, as most of you know, is really critical as we start to move into more and more applications in the cloud. So uh, if you're looking for great storage, you're looking for great ways to see what's going on in your environment, take a look at both those companies, good people, excellent products, and we're very excited to continue to have them as sponsors. Uh, two quick housekeeping things tonight, and then we'll jump into our excellent guests. I uh, wanted to give a huge thank you to all of our listeners uh, for helping us with the Krispy Kreme donations. Uh, we raised over si- nearly $6,000 this year. Uh, we won the Challenge Cup, and the folks at the North Carolina Children's Hospital were extremely, extremely happy about all of your generosity. So as we always say, you guys are the best community in technology. Thank you so much, and um, we appreciate all your support. And finally, we want to give a big congratulations to one of our longtime listeners, Josh Cohen, who passed his VMware VCDX certification this week. Uh, means Josh is one of the sort of uber data center gurus on the planet. So congratulations to Josh. Okay, enough of that. Uh, tonight's show, you know, we're, we're on the eve of the RSA conference, sort of the big get-together uh, of the security industry. And we're very, very lucky tonight to have two guests that are going to help us understand the security space a little bit better. It's a, an area that we... We get into somewhat, but neither one, Aaron and I, claim to sort of be experts in this space. So we're very excited to have uh, John Barco, VP of Products at Forgerock. John, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, also, uh, um, Engen Kurda, co-founder of Lastline. Engen, welcome to the show as well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, you know, beyond kind of digging into into the companies, and we'll, we'll talk about your companies and the technology, John, I... I did a little bit of homework. Uh, you know, Fordrock was started by you and, and four or five others. Um, you're the only one with no hair. Does that mean you're the hardest worker of that bunch? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, I, I wish I could say I was a founder. I'm not a founder, um, but I knew the founders from Sun Microsystems, and uh, they're a bunch of great guys. So, okay. Um, yeah, I've been here about a year and a half. Company's been around four years. So, and I, okay. And I, I, yep. Cool, and we'll, we'll we'll get into we'll get into some of the background and the and the company and so forth. And yep. and Engen, I, I got to ask a question because not only are you co-founder at Lastline, you also teach it uh, up in the Northeast. You're a professor, but I got to ask a question. You you previously were at University of uh, California Santa Barbara. You traded in that life for <laughs> life in Boston. I, I do we have to question your sanity when you're walking off the beach like that? Actually, actually, you're misinformed. So two of the other co-founders that are uh, professors oh, at UCSD. Okay. And they have not left, so it was a smart decision. Ah, okay. Uh, and they so can't, I've been in Boston for three years. And they can't convince you to come west to the good weather. Yeah, but you can't actually um, uh, question my sanity because I moved to Boston from the French Riviera. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, good. Well, listen, um, so so guys, we're going we're gonna to dive a little bit because both of you um, have, have made some announcements here recently. Obviously, the, the, the big conference is going on, but I want to... Before we dive into that, I'm a little bit of an outsider from a security perspective. And, you know, when I when I look at the security world, at least right now, it seems like it is a really, really crazy time. I mean, you've got 
you know, literally hundreds of millions of mobile devices coming online, Internet of Things, social networks, state-sponsored attacks. Like, are we really in a very unique security time, or is this sort of just becoming the new normal? And, John, I guess I'll let you jump into that first. Yeah, I, I would say um, this is a unique time. I, I would probably characterize it as it's a complete uh, deconstruction, reconstruction of infrastructure in general. Um, and, you know, we, you, we've all been talking about it, right? I mean, cloud services, uh, mobile, big data, everything, right? And I think those words get thrown around a lot and they don't really necessarily mean a lot to a lot of people. But from where I sit and where, you know, and, and when I talk to customers, they are going through a not just an evolutionary uh, you know, re-look at how they do business and how they build their infrastructure. I mean, it, it is revolutionary. They are completely changing the playbook um, by which they do business. And if they're not, they, they need to. Yeah. And, and obviously, I mean, it's, it, it's part of the reason why we're seeing, you know, so much funding going into the security space. We're seeing a lot of companies get started. Um, engine, you know, you've you've been on both the academic side and and now you know diving in more on the commercial side. I mean, what's what's unique about this time for for you or for for Lastline to to sort of you know what what do you guys see in this space right now in terms of the pace and the amount of change going on? Yeah, I think I mean if you look at the academic research in this space uh, for the last ten years, we have seen dramatic changes. Right, I think one big change has been that the internet has actually become a critical infrastructure. Right? It was not a critical infrastructure before, but now it's very important for business. Everybody's connected. There are more mobile devices. So the bad guys are seeing this as well. So there are opportunities for attack. And I think they've, we've seen a shift, or we've already seen it, from attacks for fun to attacks for profit, and lately attacks sponsored by uh, nation states, mm-hmm. um, or espionage, for example. So there have been dramatic changes and I feel like it's going to get um, it's going to get even more dramatic because you know our dependence is not is, is increasing actually. We're doing more and more things online. Right. Yeah. I mean, we everything is twenty four by seven. We we get frustrated when we can't get internet on an airplane, and, and and you know I would I would completely agree. So I'm going to dive a little bit into into both of your your products and technologies. So last line just released uh, version four point seven. So the product's been around quite a while. Um, Around advanced persistent threats and, and malware, but but you're moving into uh, the VMware space, into the VMware ESX space, and getting into sort of virtualizing that. You know, we, we've talked to a lot of folks about things like software-defined networking, and you know how networks are kind of moving back to to the edge. Is this is this becoming critical from a security perspective? Do you have to get closer and closer to the applications and how applications are deployed, as opposed to appliances and things how they used to be? I, I I believe so. I mean, we've seen quite a bit of demand from people who, who are actually already using virtualization, right? So right. It, it just makes a lot of sense for them uh, to deploy virtualization and whatever product you have, it just costs more. It's just more effort if you have to plug in a new appliance every time, right? So it it just makes more sense to 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 enter the space because there's a demand out there. So I think you know, virtualization has been becoming more and more popular. We have more cloud services now, and this is definitely we're moving in that direction. It's not going to, it's going to get, you know, uh, even more popular soon. 
Okay. And, and you're hearing that from, now in that case, are you hearing that from VMware administrators, the server guys, or is that the security guys just saying my world? The security guys, right? Okay. Because, you know, you have a huge network and it just makes more sense if you can use virtualization techniques. You can just plug in whatever solution you have, the software, uh, you know, instead of like buying uh, appliance every time. It's right. cheaper, it's easier to maintain. So, you know, it has a lot of advantages. Ease yep. of use, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with... I would guess with, with APT stuff, you don't really know what you're looking for. So you've got to be able to get things out there very quickly and, and deployed again to, to sort of align to where the applications are, how they're going to get deployed. Exactly. Exactly. Deployment definitely becomes easier. Uh, you already have existing systems, right? So it's just, it's, I, I would really say it's the ease of use. People, I think, really like that. Okay. Now, now John, Fordrock uh, is, is very much in the what might be called IAM space, identity management. You guys tend to call it identity relationship management. And I was I was reading a blog that you had written maybe about a week or so ago talking about Internet of Things and this sort of new new identity or relationship paradigm. Like what what does all that mean? I mean what what's changed? What are you what are you focused on in that space? Yeah, we we basically, you know, when we took a look at what the what customers are trying to do and what the market is doing and and how the impact of all these changes are are affecting uh, the way we do business. Um, we really thought that you know what what customers uh, are really trying to do is they're really just they're trying to connect with other people, whether they're employees connecting with. Uh, other employees, or if it's the the organization itself trying to connect with consumers or citizens, right? They're, they're in that connection. They're establishing relationships, and so when we look at identity and access management, it's it's really about managing relationships. At the end of the day, if you take a step back, identity a long time ago, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, was was really about managing uh, employee security within a perimeter, right? It was kind of the castle defense strategy. Yep. And then over time, the, the need to um, connect or secure, uh, uh, you know, connections with, uh, with external employees or with partners or... Um, with citizens, people outside of the the castle, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of that perimeter um, needed to open up, right? And it became basically perimeterless, right? It, the, right? The security had to be baked into basically every device, every person, every identity, everything. And then that progressed to where we think it's evolved to today, which is, you know, taking those relationships that people need to establish and using those attributes of those specific things or people and the context for that relationship and making decisions based on uh, based on what's happening right and so if somebody's trying to get access to an application based in the in the, in the cloud then it's really important to be able to know where, that person is coming from the type of attributes that make up that that identity and that person, and then the context of which it's being used. Okay. So, if you kind of wrap all that together, this this idea of identity relationship management at the end of the day is is just an abstraction of identity and how identity is being used today. 
Right. Now, <clears throat> for a while, I mean, for a while, you know, maybe two, three, four years ago, you know, there was a lot of buzz about things like OAuth and, and a lot about kind of the protocol and was there a common standard and, but nowadays, it, you know, my identity on Twitter and my identity on Facebook and my identity that I log into a bank are all these different things. I mean, is it, is there, is there now a lot more intelligence to try and figure out not only, you know, who I am, but, but some other ways to identify me that might also revalidate who I am or what's the, what's the core kind of thinking as identities evolved in that sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a bunch of stuff. One is, um, obviously, uh, from an, from a consumer or an individual perspective, you know, we all have multiple ways of getting access to, to, uh, services, whether it's Facebook or applications in the enterprise. And then we, we have multiple ways and devices from which we use to get access to that. And then, you know, as we've, as we've known for quite a while, right? Passwords just suck period. Um, if you're on a mobile device trying to reset a password, it, it's just it's ridiculous, right? And so I think part of what we're seeing is this the evolution of standards to address just the the, the ease of use, right? Um, and the kind of I think the acknowledgement that you know there's not just one identity provider, you know, it's not just your employer that's your identity provider, it's not just your bank. It can be Facebook, right? It can right. be LinkedIn. It can be Twitter, right? And so this kind of idea that there's multiple providers of your identity and how that identity is used and shared to authenticate to other services, I think that's that kind of embodies what we're trying to do, you know, around OAuth 2 and OpenID Connect. Okay. Okay. Now, now both of your companies, so, you know, security used to be about sort of, you know, one company was maybe hadn't, you know, like had a great encryption algorithm, like an RSA or somebody, you know, was sort of first to, to make something simple. Like, um, um, I'm trying to think of the, the, the Israeli firewall guys from years ago. And, but now people are, are delivering security in a lot more ways. So both of your companies, either whether it's open source with what you guys are doing at Fordrock or it's sort of a SaaS-based application, um, you know, like like you guys offer from from Lastline's perspective. Whether it's security labs and research that you do, I mean, how, how much how much is how security's delivered changed, and and how much does that help not only you guys deliver better products, but also your your customers? I mean, is it is that becoming the new norm? People want it. They, they, they want to see the code. They want it as a SaaS service. They want it frequently updated. What's what's kind of that trend in terms of you know how they're getting security products, mm -hmm. what they trust, and um, I'll yeah, talk I mean, about I, either one of you. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer it first. But I, I, I mean, I think from what we've heard from a lot of customers is transparency is really the the key um, that that uh, organizations are looking for today, right? They they want to know what they're buying. They want to know what they're implementing. They want to look at the code. The only way to do that is if it's open source code, right? So, you know, with the uh, revelations around NSA and the fact that, you know, there was actually a backdoor in the RSA code, you know, that, that raises a lot of eyebrows, right? And so I think 
transparency is really the key to security uh in, in you know and as it as it's, as it's evolving today gotcha. yeah so in, in our case um you know i haven't seen anyone ask us for open source uh, i think the reason is we're involved more in malware analysis and if you open source everything you do you're also giving the code to the bad guys right so they have an easier time figuring out how you're doing things and evasion then might become a big problem so there are a lot of pros for open source, but you know there are also advantages of closed source. So um, when I teach uh, at, at the university, right, it's, that's a discussion that always comes up. Which one is the best? And I think it's a combination of both. So open source is definitely something you want to have, but at the same time, uh, closed source also has certain advantages. Right. So uh, we're doing a lot of dynamic analysis, and you know we, we provided it as a service. These are very complex systems, so. Uh, we haven't received any demand where people actually you know, wanted to check the code and make sure that you're doing a good job. They actually test it uh, and then decide for themselves, you know, if you're doing the detection well or not. Right now, now what about from a, from like a SaaS perspective, where you know your company's kind of helping them? How how much are they demanding that because they're overwhelmed, and and then how much of that becomes a a trust factor because it's yet another entity that they don't have visibility or transparency into so one thing so one uh, thing that we've seen is that you know depending on the organization some organizations would like to have a service but they would like to run it locally right that has okay. been a big issue actually for bigger companies so they don't want us to run something in the cloud in certain cases because they want to have control over all the data that goes out right so that's why we have two versions so we actually give it out to people so that they can run it themselves and we don't get any data from them but in some cases, you know, for like smaller organizations, they're actually fine with the idea of just outsourcing everything to us because they tend to trust us more. So yeah. it really depends on the organization, I would say. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I would second that. I think it's a really a, a segmentation uh, issue, right, in that small, medium business is more, more tend to like the convenience and the simplification of a, of a SaaS service. And they're not necessarily as concerned with with um, with having the data uh, live somebody somewhere else. The larger organizations, I think, you know, they they are obviously looking to free up their IT budget to, to invest in new projects, and so they like the idea of of uh, of SaaS. Um, I think one of the issues, as you pointed out, right, is where's the data live, and so private cloud. Um, you know, is is a huge uh, um, kind of trend that we're seeing with a lot of folks um, for our business. Uh, typically, you know, we, we sell on-prem software. Uh, there's still a huge demand to have ownership of the infrastructure on-premise, um, and you know that can be complemented with with other SaaS-based services as well, but larger organizations, from from our perspective, are still wanting the traditional infrastructure that they can own and manage and and touch. Exactly. Right. So you're seeing exactly the same thing, actually. So I would also say. Yeah. No. I mean, it makes sense. I know. uh, You know, both of you guys offer it. I know you're you're getting into things where. Um, you know, you want to you want to engage with those those SaaS providers on behalf, you know, as a bridge or a proxy. And so, yeah, no, I I think it makes sense. I think like like you mentioned early on, John, it's when there is no more perimeters anymore. You know, you you have to be able to deliver something flexible to your customers because 
they may not even know what their environment's going to look like a year from now or two years from now, depending on how quickly they adopt something or their their market drives them some way. So, so let me ask both of you guys. I mean, we touched on you, you know, you both touched on a little bit, you know, without sort of getting into the weeds of the politics. I mean, what's 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 going on with all this NSA stuff in terms of not you know speculation on what they might do, but I mean, what what is it? What's it doing? to your business, to your customers? Like, is it, is it an everyday discussion that you have with them? Is it top of mind? Is it sort of, they're not sure what, what what's it doing to their world? Um, or how, you know, how much of it's changed here, obviously in the last year? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's definitely top of mind. Um, and it, as I was mentioning before, I think a lot of CIOs, CISOs are, are concerned about, you know who they can trust as a as a partner as a vendor. I think there's 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 a lot of confusion in the in the market, um, and there's a lot of concern. And it's it's you know it's it's this is huge, right? I mean this is, I mean it, you can look at it from from every angle. I mean this this is the you know splintering of the internet. This is, I mean it can it can yeah. go a lot of different ways, and, and so customers are, are concerned, right? I mean. At the end of the day, they want to own the data. They want to be absolutely sure nobody else is looking at it, and they're not really sure today. And are you seeing it driving maybe like a, a return back to sort of private cloud and on-premise from, from people that have been dabbling with various public clouds, or is it still just, you know, trust and skepticism? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, 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 I see that. I mean, I, from our side, it's they definitely – while there was a, a you know pendulum swing to move everything to SaaS, now it's kind of swung back to hey, let's let's look at it from a private yeah. cloud on-prem perspective. I agree. I also think um, you know based on my visits in the AG, I mean, when you just before the NSA revelations, when you talk to people there, um, governmental organizations, you know, companies, everybody was already concerned that you know that, that they didn't trust. Uh, and they always thought that you know somebody like the NSA might be looking at the data, right? I think that's one reason why this has been uh, driving the on-premise uh, demand. So people wanted to, you know, basically run the systems themselves so that they have some control. Yeah, I mean, it's we do half our business in Europe because our company was founded in Europe, and so we're seeing it equally on both sides of you know. Uh, of the Atlantic, right? And, and there's certainly on the on the on the European side the concern around privacy, um, uh, security of the data is is really more. They're they're very much more vocal, right. uh, you know, from the European side than they are on the U.S. side. Yeah, no, I can. I, I've I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that sort of firsthand um, in a couple of ways. One, obviously, they you know they're their country size is, in a lot of cases, the size of some of our states, so they, they kind of have to keep things for various legal reasons. But, I, you know, I've also heard folks on the continent who who think this this may create a rise in, in some of the providers or some of the the various sort of SIs in Europe that, that maybe we're struggling against in Amazon or in Azure or something like that. Um, yeah. Because you know, they think it'll, it'll stay local. Right. But that's also my theory i think you know we might see more competition from europe in the in the future because i, I feel like uh, european governments might actually you know 
um, invest more in certain things like search engines, right? Interesting. Maybe build a European mm-hmm. search engine or something. Interesting. Interesting. Now, you know, security is always an interesting thing. It's, you know, there used to be a stat that used to go around that said, um, you know, people, it, you know, it's, it's difficult to get people's attention with security when they spend, you know, as much for coffee as they do for security. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of a buy, you know, it's, it's not a huge buying uh, area. Obviously, that's that sort of changes. But, you know, sometimes security professionals, CISOs have a tendency to be the, you know, nothing's ever secure. We need more. We need more. You can't do anything. And, and, you know, we're very much in that mode of businesses want to go faster. They're looking for less friction. When you guys are talking to CIOs, you're talking to the sort of the higher level people. What's the, what's the message you give them when they're looking at all this chaos and they're looking at all this change? And how do you get them to, to realize the importance of security, whether it's about, you know, identity flexibility and relationships, or it's, you know, dealing with threats that you've never seen before. I mean, how do you, how has that changed? What are you, what are you trying to convince them of or trying to make them educated about? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll, from my perspective, I think the, um, I think that it's interesting that I think the conversation around security, when we talk about identity and in and, and the strategy and how that applies to an organization, I think that is actually secondary what we uh, what we talk to the CIO CISOs about is how do you leverage the value of your identities in other words identities th- those identities are assets um, and it's a huge asset right and as they try to build um, you know their business as they try to grow their business accelerate their business they have to look at what their Doing with those with the with the value of the identity and and you mentioned it, reducing the friction right and part of what we do is have the discussion around how do we enable that organization to reduce friction to be able to do business more efficiently with partners or enable consumers or citizens to do more you know a business more efficiently with them and so at the end of the day it's about how to enable them to more effectively build their business faster. Okay. So it's, it's about saying, look, you know, you want as many people on mobile devices coming to your website. You want as many people, you know, interacting on social, you know, your, your workers interacting on social and know what's going on in the business, but, but you've got to have the right mechanisms to make sure that you can enable them to be successful as opposed to spending time fighting fires. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so we're in the malware business, and you know, I think people are already feeling the pain. They already have existing defenses; they're just failing, right? So, I think uh, people realize that the, the current technologies we have are actually not scaling. They're not effective enough to detect the most, you know, the the more advanced variants of uh, of the attacks we're seeing. That's why you know things like evasive malware, for example, has become a big issue. That's why uh, when we reach out to people and they talk to us. Uh, most of them are actually quite knowledgeable, so they know that they need something else besides, you know, traditional AV to actually protect their networks, to protect their organizations. Uh, partially due to the media as well, you know, not a day passes by when you read about some attack, data, data leaks, and you know, uh, damage to organizations. Right, and I and I have to imagine in, in probably both your cases, but but especially in the malware case, just the the presence of sort of low-cost cloud computing and the ability to spin up botnets and things has got to be 
you know, orders of magnitude more than it was four or five years ago? Is that a fair assessment? You know, the ability to pull those things together quickly, or are those things driven by nation states and privately owned and so forth? Um, uh, you're right. I mean, you know, we've recently seen nation states uh, be involved in these more sophisticated types of attacks, but, you know, in traditional attacks, we just have a lot of resources out there, a lot of connected computers. We have cloud services that you can simply buy. So we're actually seeing a combination of all of these things. So the bad guys are actually using all of them. Okay. Well, very good. Well, guys, I'm going to I'm gonna wrap it up there. I mean, obviously, both of you um, have, you know, with, with RSA coming up next week, uh, announcements you've made this week, announcements that'll come out next week. You know, we have a number of our listeners who will probably most likely be at RSA. So, you know, if folks want to kind of come find you guys, uh, you know, kind of want to engage with you. What's the what's the best way to to engage with either either one of you or or you know get to know Fordrock or uh, or or Lastline better? Um, what's what's the best way to do that? Well, so on the Forgerock side, there's a number of ways. Um, you know, they can go to our website. We've got webinars that we've recorded that we do once a month. So, so they can at least get an idea at a high level kind of what we're doing. They can also, you know, our, our software is is freely downloadable, right? So they can download a binary. They can try it. They can check it out. They can read the docs. Um, and so, you know, you can learn about it. You can actually try it. Um, and then at, at RSA, we've got a booth. You know, you can stop by. We'll give you a demo. We'll show you what we're doing. Um, so, cool. so, yeah, exactly. In our case, we also have a website, of course, and um, they can contact us through the website. Uh, we also provide uh, free demo versions of our tools. And we'll be at RSA. We have a booth there, so we'll be happy to show them and demo our products. Okay, very cool. And we'll get we'll get all those details in the show notes, so folks can go back and. And uh, find him and click on him. Um, if you're out at RSA, folks, go uh, go by, find John, go by, find uh, uh, Engen, buy him a beer, have a conversation with him. Um, good stuff tonight, guys. I, I appreciate the you know educating us a little bit. I think um, you know this is a space that that continues to be uh, interesting in terms of the pace it's changing, and I think you guys are are very much on the cusp of of, uh, of what's driving it. So thank you very much for being on tonight. Um, folks, uh, as always, you can find everything about the show at thecloudcast.net. Uh, tell a friend, leave us a review on iTunes. We always appreciate that. It helps us grow the show. And so for John and Engen and uh, for Aaron, who's not here, but uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you very much, and have a great night. <laughs>